This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction, and infrastructure projects nationwide. And we are live. Welcome to this week's Safer Than Your Average. On the show this week, we have Sheldon. Sheldon, if you just want to come in and introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you. I am Sheldon Primus. I'm the host of the Safety Consultant Podcast with Sheldon Primus. That's an easy one to remember, right? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a safety consultant by trade. And what that means is truly I go out there and I help clients First, with for usually, usually it's compliance first, and then after a while, they start thinking about safety culture. But uh, I'm based in the U.S., so uh, compliance is really a big thing with uh, our OSHA. So with the OSHA compliance, I help them out with that part first, and then I get some clients that are like, "All right, we're we're good with the compliance part. Let's go ahead and start doing some extra stuff to to get some safety culture." And that's that's really what I love. I love seeing that turn. So I help them through that process and then i also mentor people who want to be safety consultants i help them out and tell them all right you know your safety chops let's help you do the business behind the safety part so that you could still run a good business and you do the safety so that's uh, that's the impetus of that show safety consultant brilliant brilliant so i don't know if you've seen the format of my podcast we like to just go right back to the beginning tell us a little bit about your early life you growing up Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, I am the youngest of five. <laughs> and uh, wow. five kids. yeah, my uh, family's from British Guyana. So uh, that's uh, South America. Uh, we are the English speaking country in South America. So all of my two brothers, two sisters, mom, dad, they're all born in Guyana. Uh, my parents moved to America in like late late sixties, early seventies, and they're right around the the seventy mark. They were trying to figure out how to get residency, how to become American citizens, and they couldn't quite figure it out. All the pathways were closed, and they're like, "Oh, I got it. Let's have a baby." <laughs> And back then in the 70s is, you know, easy because then I was born in 71. So with an American born child, they basically ushered in the paperwork for all the family, you know, my brothers and my sister and my uh, parents. So they all got in there. We lived in Queens, New York. And uh, as Queens, New York, my dad used to work in a warehouse for a company called Bulova. They're the watch company. I don't yeah. know if you remember them, do you? Yeah, I've heard of them, yeah. Yeah, so he worked for uh, Bulova, but his division, uh, he was shipping and receiving, and his division actually worked for the timing mechanisms for bombs. Right, okay. No <laughs> <laughs> uh, light bombs there, but they just worked on the timing mechanism for bombs. They were specialists. And yeah. uh, so I, I knew about just work, industry work from him, and he was the shipping manager, but I didn't really get into safety until later. My first job was was really simple. I was selling newspapers when I was a kid for the daily news in high school. That was like my first real uh, job. And that uh, living in New York City, the daily news was one of these, um, one of three major newspapers. And all I had to do was uh, pick up the phone and say, 
can I offer you daily news? And then they hang up. Can I offer you a subscription? And they hang up. It was, <laughs> it was demoralizing, man. It was just terrible. And uh, later on, I was able to get into uh, doing some work in manufacturing. And then that was uh, for a cabinet uh, factory. And that's when I moved to Florida. So I had moved to Florida where I currently live. But at that time, it was uh, 89 but I graduated in 1989. Stu, come on, tell me you're, you're, you're born, you know, you weren't born then or were you born then? I don't know. <laughs> no, I was born before that, 85 I was born, so. Um, okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure, cause you look young. So I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, you're like my nephew's ages. So, you know, I don't know if, uh, if that's too, too old for you. I'm the, I'm the old guy in the room these days, you know? <laughs> Quite funny, you're the second cabinet maker that we've had on that turned to safety as a profession. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I wonder if there's a report on that or something. Some sort of, <laughs> something that says this is the path to safety. Yeah. Surely, so, when I uh, when I started doing that job in in Orlando, one of the other ones that I was doing uh, just before that was delivery driving produce. So I had to go through Orlando with a, a, a refrigerator truck going from restaurant to restaurant to grocery stores and dropping off um, produce. And those were small grocery stores, not the big ones because they had their own. Uh, but that was my that was my job for, for quite a bit until I started uh, thinking, I need a career, not just a job. <laughs> and so I looked up uh, for City of Orlando. They were hiring recycling uh, helpers, the guys who jumped on the recycling trucks and the garbage trucks. And I'm like, all right, I'll do it. It's a possibility they might hire me, so I'll do it. And I started doing that job for a while. I had young legs, young back, jumping off the trucks, running beside there, throwing in the garbage in the back of the truck, and uh, then hanging on for dear life as you get to the next stop. Uh, so that was my job for a while until they saw a posting that says, wastewater operator apprenticed. And I didn't know what wastewater was. I didn't know what an apprentice was. I kind of had an idea that you just learn under somebody. So I, I just decided I'm going to go for it. So I went for it and I got accepted as a wastewater uh, apprentice. And uh, that was with the city of Orlando. And I actually loved the field. I started in roughly 80, uh, 94, excuse me, 90, no, 92, 92 or 93 right around there and um and then they asked me when i was a, a operator after my first two years if you wanted to be the safety officer of this plant and the plant was a, a eight million gallon plant of water that it would be treating every day i don't know the liter conversion for that <laughs> but it was eight million gallons of water treated every day and when you're in one of the utilities you're dealing with uh, underground utilities you're dealing with uh, pretty much piping excavation uh, hazards of hydrogen sulfides methanes you're dealing with uh, permit required confined space fall protection uh, chlorine gas is what we had at the time so mm -hmm. I had to deal with chlorine gas safety and all that and then they asked me two years in hey we need a safety guy do you want to be safety? And I was like, okay, sure. I get an office, I get a card so I could buy safety gear. And, and then they gave me time every day to go ahead and sit in my office and prepare for safety. And I'll, oh man, this is awesome. I get out of the Florida heat, <laughs> I get to sit in an office. And then I actually had to work. I had to do safety. 
<laughs> that part, I didn't know what to do. So they sent me to an OSHA class, and this was right around 95, 96. They sent me to an OSHA class, and I learned a little bit. But how uh, America's OSHA works is if there is no state plan, meaning of Florida OSHA, Tennessee OSHA, California OSHA, then that means that the public sector workers for cities, counties, parishes, villages, those city, county workers, municipal workers, teachers, any of them, they are exempt from OSHA. So that means they do not have any representation for safety and health except their bosses, except the county, the city, or parish, or whoever they work for. That was tough. I couldn't get buy-in because some people were like, hey, OSHA doesn't doesn't come here. We don't have an OSHA. And I'm trying to tell them, you know, hey, we should follow this <laughs> just as a basis. And uh, I had to I had to sell safety at that time, really, is what it boiled down to. And that's, that's how I... Given itself, isn't it? Being able to sell it and being able to deliver the message in a way that brings people along on the journey. Yeah, yeah. Because you can't, you know, just threaten OSHA to them because they're laugh at you, you know? So I had to tell them, you like your fingers, right? <laughs> you, you like your eyes, right? Let's see if you could put on some glasses there. Let's see if you could put on the right gloves. And I had to really reason with them at that point until I became a safety and health officer for a special district of the state of Florida. And I, I got certified as a certified occupational safety specialist and a certificate of occupational safety manager. And I started learning more and more about managing safety and being ahead of the department. And uh, from there, I also got my, uh, I had my bachelor's in marketing and I picked up my uh, master's in public administration. And I decided, all right, that's it. I'm going to leave. I'm get burnt out of city work because by their government work, by then it was 2008, I started my business. And then 2012, I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm going full-time in my business. No more part-time. I'm just going full-time and I'm done. And from there, I've, I've pretty much been doing consulting ever since. So that's my journey, Stu. That's it. That's my whole journey. <laughs> <laughs> so what Thank kind you. of consulting do you do at the moment then, Sheldon? Where are you, you at? What kind of businesses do you consult to? Uh, usually my clients are either uh, cities and counties because I have a, especially in the wastewater, water distribution, collection systems, because that's where I grew up. That's, that's when, when I say grew up, I mean my real jobs and the things I was used to doing. So I, de I deal with a lot of cities and counties as my clients. But then on the other side, I do have uh, some clients where they come from referral so an insurance company or someone will say, hey, Sheldon, I had one of our insured is OSHA came and visited them. They need some help. Can you represent them? And, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I do that. And we, we go uh, with, I have a business partner now uh, in one of my businesses, which is called Shelbro. And his, uh, he's ex-OSHA, Kevin Yarbrough. So that's how we got our name, Sheldon Yarbrough Shelbro. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, so we represent people. Uh, we go to OSHA, we do informal conferences, and we really try to make sure that, practically speaking, we're going to do our best to make sure our clients get as little penalty dollar-wise as possible. But what means more to us is that the workers are going to have a practical safety system that is going to help them want to do things that are going to keep them safe. 
So that's the balance that you got to keep, right? You got to, you know, make sure that people stay compliant, but you want to make sure that the workers feel like they're participating in safety and this is in their best interest and it's something they like to do. And uh, so we try to teach them that part, the clients. Mm -hmm. So what's been the biggest challenge in your career so far then, Sheldon? Right now, the challenge is COVID-19, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so funny how uh, a novel virus can also all of a sudden have so many experts in the safety and health field. Everybody's an expert at COVID and we're coming up with COVID plans and everything else. And we're like, hold on, this is novel. It just came out. How do we get all these uh, mechanisms for keeping everyone safe and reopening plans? And I believe it's possible, obviously, because I'm even helping my clients with that. But the the hardest struggle right now, and maybe I might have a, a, a struggle A and a struggle B or, or a challenge A and a challenge B. So the challenge A would be for that COVID-19 getting everybody thinking, all right, let's go back to hazard control. <laughs> hazard control. And let's let's get a good information of the hazard. I know the information changes from the epidemiologists from time to time, and we got to get used to what the new recommendations are. Um, yeah. But then we got to figure out the control part. And then on the other side, the, the other uh, safety challenge I'm getting right now is truly making sure that I get everyone, including people who are trying to be safety consultants, I really want them to start thinking about uh, you as an individual, you as a person. You get burnt out in safety. You could get burnt out as being your own boss if mm -hmm. you don't really like take the time to, to cultivate yourself. And that's it's it's not direct safety but i think overall when you think about your mentality if you you know if you don't spend time with your partner well how good are you going to be for everyone else right yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah. there's a, a massive area that sh should fall into the remit of the occupational health and safety practitioner to promote and be able to have those difficult conversations and speak up about mental health is really really important a lot of organisations in the UK are going down the road of having people trained in the business to be mental health first aiders, to be able to recognise the signs, give a bit of advice and guidance, and then direct them to a support function should they require it. I like that word. Mental health first responders, did you yep. say? Yep, first aiders, yep. Really? That's good. I, I never heard it that way. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we don't think of it in that sense here. Mm -hmm. We really, I did interview a guy once on my podcast, a good friend of mine, Ari Copeland, and uh, he talked about psychological safety. Mm -hmm. and it's something which, you know, is could be akin to what you're saying there. But I like that. That's a good phrase. Is that common in the UK? Yeah, a lot of the big organizations are now starting to move towards having mental health first aid practitioners and in the, in, in the organization they'll go on a training course from someone that can teach them all of the signs of somebody that's maybe struggling with a mental problem um, they give them a bit of training on how to be able to engage with someone that's maybe suffering from stress and anxiety or depression and then they give them the tools in the organization to be able to refer them on some businesses even have the kind of counseling-based services that they can then refer the people on to, to for free counseling. 
for what oh. we're suffering from. So it's really good, really positive. It works in a lot of big organizations in the UK. Yeah, that's great because uh, when I, one of the positions I held before I went on my own was I was part of a, well, I was a plant manager of one of the wastewater facilities uh, that we had in South Florida. So as a plant manager, I had responsibilities for my uh, pretty much frontline supervisors. I was over them. And then from the frontline supervisors, everyone that they were supervising was over, I was uh, over them as well. So uh, I had to hire and fire and disciplinary actions and had to do performance improvement plans. And I had to kind of notice when someone was out of character and trying to figure out, hey, I know I'm supposed to be writing you up right now, but what's wrong? I, it's not like you, something's going on. And some of the things that I would hear back is, is like people, you know, truly they're there. It's hard to separate home from work sometimes. And then that could lead to a, a unsafe situation or a hazardous situation because someone is physically not, or I should say mentally not there. So then their physical actions can be something that would, would be risk-taking. Uh, so I, I'm glad that there's a, a concerted effort for that. Well, that probably butts on a nice piece of work that I've done with a guy called Dr. Stephen Fletcher. He's an absolutely fantastic psychologist, um, and I'm going to have him on the podcast in a few weeks' time, hopefully, if he gets some gaps in his diary. We, uh, we went on a, a bit of a campaign when I worked in the rail industry to look at uh, non-technical skills investigatory techniques for accidents and incidents. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine a person that you give them the training to be able to fulfill their role, that's you facilitating them to get the technical skill. But if the non-technical skill of being able to retain and recall information is missing, no matter yep. how many times you train them in the task, they won't be able to recall or retain the information that you're telling them in the first place. So, so it's true. all about being able to draw these out using a certain investigation technique and a line of, kind of questioning that you go in and it takes you on a whole different kind of journey. One of my, my favorite phrases in safety um, from when I was working in the kind of operational environment was, your Friday site problem someone else's Monday morning site headache and someone else's Friday site problem will be your Monday morning site headache so if you put someone off of the site for misbehaving you're just passing the problem on to someone else and what you might inherit is someone else's problem you know so that's uh, right a mindset that I've always had across my career when I've been working in that kind of operational environment and someone's done something wrong, I always like to take myself out of the position that they're in and go into what would they be thinking in the lead up to this? How would they feel? What would be the emotion around the decision that they made to do this? Was mm -hmm. it a willful act? Were they going out there to intentionally do something stupid? And I don't think I've ever had someone that's intentionally went out recklessly with the intention that I'm really going to do something bad here. You know, yeah, yeah. normally other factors that lead up to the, the poor decision making um, that then leads them into the, the incident situation. Mm -hmm. And there's so many, um, you know, there's, there's just 
so many different incident investigation tools and models and, mm -hmm. you know, five whys. And if you were to start using, you know, uh, there's, there's Taproot and, and other products that you could use. And then when you get to uh, figuring out, you know, hey, we do have a, a human factor related into this. Yep. And then you have to find out, all right, how culpable is this human that, that has this, this little piece <laughs> incident investigations, you find out that there's going to be, you know, many pieces, especially if you're going as deep as a fishbone or something similar to that. Mm -hmm. But when you do get to the human factor, then you're thinking, all right, well, uh, I like the diminishing culpability model from James Reason and where basically you're thinking, all right, was this sabotage or did I fail this worker? <laughs> did I truly fail this worker and didn't train them right? Didn't give them everything that they need. Uh, so if there's any punitive issues, then the person who's got the sabotage, they're going to, you know, you're out of here. <laughs> but then everyone else that maybe I fail them, let's find a way for me to, to get them either retrained or and might be me retraining myself first and mm -hmm. being an effective communication, uh, a communicator to them. And then let's see how, how well we do after I deal with me. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I'd yeah. say it's a great way to look at it as well, isn't it? So where do you see yourself progressing to in the future, Sheldon? I know we've had some talks in the past and you're looking at doing a whistle-stop tour of the world maybe next year. <laughs> Should the travel restrictions lift? What, what's next for Sheldon? Where are you going? Yes. Yeah, so, so should that travel restriction lift, my wife and I are already thinking, I've been looking at everything. Like even today I'm looking at French Polynesia. Where, where is that? Where can I go? And uh, Scotland of course is on, is on the list is, yep. and that's a, I've already been doing most of the things that I can online. So chances are I'm going to be doing more and more online events so mm -hmm. that I don't have to be physically in a place uh, much more than I need to be. Mm -hmm. And then also the other aspect of it is uh, truly, I feel a calling to develop a different type of, uh, I think as I know we've got safety differently and I know we've got, you know, hop and, our human organization performance and we have behavior-based safety all of that is out there there's something that is just uh, the COVID-19 thing has hit me in such a way as as it got me sparked it got me thinking that there's a cross between people's behavior that does need a behavioralist to help them but then there's also a little part of the organization that needs to to be more flexible and and I believe there's a little new mix between that that could be safely differently differently <laughs> I don't know if that's even possible <laughs> and, uh, it's nagging at me. So I'm going to, I think one of the things I'm really going to do is, is try to figure this thing out uh, and then test it, you know, figure it out. Mm -hmm. And then I need to test it. I need to peer review it and, and all, all the other things that goes behind it. But I think there's another, another, just a birth of a different version of safety coming out. And I feel it. I've been talking to other people about it and, uh, and I don't know, maybe that's just me. Uh, but, I think that's going to be one of my, my next projects is, is try to verbalize what that is and then be able to, to share it with everybody. So it's a, it's a, it's a, um, an exploration that might be one of my next iterations. 
So you're coming to Scotland as part of your world tour. I'm going to throw you on the spot a little bit here. Go We're ahead. going to get you to come along to the IOS West of Scotland branch once we get back to being able to do face-to-face meetings to be a guest speaker if we can yep. line it up while you're here. Yeah. Uh, I, oh, yeah, I will. Absolutely. Absolutely. My wife might put me in a headlock. I've got this on video now, so that's a real commitment. (laughs) Yeah, she'll put me in a headlock if I refuse that. (laughs) She's of Irish descent, so so it's really close to to where she is. And uh, so, you know, it's a hop, hop, skip, and a jump away. So, yeah, uh, and she loves Scotland, too. So, uh, yeah, she. I don't want to get beat up, so I'm I'm saying yes. (laughs) You're married 23 years. I know I got to, you know, I got to know when to say yes. <laughs> so you mentioned some of your online events. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? What have you got coming up? What's in the pipeline? Yeah, well, the pipeline right now uh, has been pretty much my course. So mm-hmm. I've got a safety blueprint course and it's pretty easy. You just do a safety blueprint uh, excuse me, safetyconsultantblueprint.com. So safetyconsultantblueprint.com. And that is what's truly in the pipeline right now. And I'm also working on one that will be for instructional design because that's uh, that's one of the things I do. I, I do uh, subject matter expert work for some of the online courses that many people take. Either I write the courses or I check it for, for completeness, check it for compliance. There's a UK company, UK slash Australian company that's moving to US and I'm helping them in the transition period. So that's been taking up a lot of my time helping them. But for me, I am definitely thinking of, of branching out a little bit more. So just SheldonPrimus.com. Make it nice and easy. You can see anything that happens. Just go there. <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. So what advice would you give to someone starting out in health and safety today, Sheldon? Yeah, the advice for someone who, especially when you feel like you want to get into this, something sparked you, something made you think. Yeah, I like what's going on there. I think I could do this. Or there needs to be someone that knows my experience to help other people. And usually when you're thinking of safety and health, you're thinking of it because you yourself want to help. And uh, so if that's the case, first and foremost, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep looking for a mentor. That's one of the most important things. Find a mentor locally. Find a mentor online, however you can. And once you do, don't let them go. <laughs> Pick their brain as best as you can. Uh, there's mentorship that you can see on LinkedIn or at least people you could connect to on LinkedIn. Uh, there's many other ways you can connect. And uh, truly, that's one of the first things you could do. And then secondly, uh, is if you really think that you're going to uh, go through this field, there's a, just I can't say a billion, but there's a bunch of safety designations. If you want to choose the one that means the most to you, there's many of them out there. Choose one that means the most to you. And it may be easier to start as a specialist and then branch out to a generalist. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the reason why I say that is most people think generalist first, because that means you have so many different more opportunities. Uh, But if you uh, truly feel like you are, you got a, a good construction background or you got a really strong excavation or something like that, mm-hmm. chances are you're still going to gravitate to looking for, for helping that company or helping that type of work. So go ahead and get 
advanced training in that kind of work. And then you have a little credentials uh, behind your name so you could get hired or you could start uh, being a consultant for them. But that's the, the, the plan, I would say. And if you do school, school always tops designations. <laughs> a degree always tops designations. So if you're still in that framework, I did degrees when I was older. I, I went back to school uh, and got my degrees as opposed to going straight out of high school. So that's that's my uh, that's my encouragement. What do you think? Is that uh, too far off? No, I think that's absolutely perfect. Thank you very much. And thank you for coming on the show, Sheldon. I really appreciate you giving up your time to come and talk to us. Oh, I appreciate it. This was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Sheldon. This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction, and infrastructure projects nationwide.